Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. We had another start, you guys. We we started the podcast a few minutes ago, and it, it didn't go well. So we're we're trying this again. I think that's debatable. <laughs> I think we're I think we're perfectly fine. <laughs> You'll all just have to wonder. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So this is episode ten. Episode ten. Very excited for episode ten. Right. I like big round numbers. I'm excited too. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. All right. So what are we going to talk about in episode 10? Well, episode 10, we're just kind of wrapping things up. Well, I've got some tinfoil hat theories hmm. that um, I'm excited to talk about. And I just kind of want to hear your predictions and kind of going into um, uh, what we think is going to happen in the next book, um, which we are in the past, we had talked about holding off on starting the next book while we while we covered the Game of Thrones season mm-hmm. that's coming out. But what we've decided to do is that we don't I don't want to make you wait that long. I don't want to wait uh, that long. To read the next book. So we're gonna go ahead and episode eleven will be we're gonna jump right into um Wise Man's Fear. Wise Man's Fear. We're gonna keep the keep it going. Keep it going. So if you haven't read it yet, pick it up. Yep. Start plowing through. Mm-hmm. Um, I am really excited to to get into the next book with you too. But first, I want to hear about what what's your overall impression. What what did you think of the book? Well, I'll give you that in a second. There's one one other thing I want to address. Um, oh, right up. Jumping the gun a little bit here, but we we did say that we were going to cover Game of Thrones. However, what we've decided that is that uh, there are a couple of factors leading to us. Uh, deciding not to have dedicated episodes for Game of Thrones. The first of which is we're going to be gone for like three weeks in the middle of the series. And it's already a short season. So how can you cover the season and miss three of the only of what are only seven episodes? So we decided... See, I was just going to let people think we were flaky and changed our minds. Well, we did change our minds. <laughs> <laughs> but but we had good reason to do it. That's, that's the only reason. So we will still cover Game of Thrones. We're just going to kind of cover it in the back half of the episode. So while we're doing the um, while we're doing Wise Man's Fear for those weeks, we'll probably cover a few less chapters. Right. Well, we've talked about doing slowing it down through Wise Man's Fear. There's there's a lot more to talk about. Yeah, there's and, just a lot more going on plot-wise, so... And we're getting long-winded, and uh, on one hand, I want to keep... I, I want us to be able to be natural and talk the way we want to talk, uh, but at the same point in time, I don't want to have two-hour podcast every time. So I think that's another another reason why we're going to do that. So what, what are we going to cover next week? What chapters? Well, and I also want to um, let our listeners know that I've been put on table probation <laughs> because <laughs> apparently I I read a table to you guys for 14 minutes when upon editing hey, one hey. of our previous podcasts and and that was um someone I care about told me that that was um really fucking boring. So <laughs> <laughs> I mean to put it, you know, 
<laughs> to put it gently. Your eyes said it was really fucking boring. Your no. mouth didn't say that. No, no, no. <laughs> now, these are the things you realize when you go through and you listen back to the podcast and you go, okay, we tried something. Didn't really work. Well, now I, I can put now that I know I can put the tables on the blog, I can get all exactly. of my charts and graphs out of my system and um, and it'll be great. Charts and graphs have a, have a place. Right. They absolutely have a place. <laughs> it's on the blog. Um, so did we say what, what chapters we're doing? I next? totally interrupted you before That's you talked fine. about that. Do you want me to put it out there? Yeah. Yeah. We need to tell people what to prepare for. So we're we're looking at kind of about 50-page chunks this time around. Um, through the first book, we did about 100-page chunks. It was a bit too much. So um, it'll be chapters one through five of Wise Man's Fear. Good, good. That we're going to get into. And I'm excited because after tonight, I can finally start Let's reading it. Start it. I, I can't wait. There's so much. I know. There's so much you don't know. And we will talk um, briefly about our spoiler policy. Uh, because we like to have that on every episode, just to let people know, we will not spoil anything through the name of the wind. Yes. So next episode, we will talk about up through the first five chapters of Name of the Wind and no more. So nothing on our blog will spoil more than we've covered in the podcast. Nothing that we talk about will spoil more than that. So, so social media, if you're interacting, um, Please try not to. I know it's difficult because these are books that were written many years ago. You know, um, Name of the Wind came out 10 years ago. So, mm-hmm. but if possible, you know, uh, no spoilers past what we've covered on the podcast. I'm very pleased that people have been really pretty spoiler free. Yeah. Like the closest thing to a spoiler I've gotten is somebody said that aren't Dracuses just like big cows? Right. And I was like, what? You know, of course, but it, it wasn't a spoiler because it didn't really make sense to me at the exactly. time. You know, so people have been very respectful of that. And I want to say thank you. I appreciate it. All right. So now we can get into the episode proper. Yes. Okay. So just tell me what you thought of the book. I mean, I've been wanting you to read this for so long. I'm like so, so excited. So my impression of the book is that if I had to put it down to like one sentence I would say it was enjoyable but at times frustrating so what what did you find frustrating so a couple things I found frustrating and and I think to be fair I think it's exacerbated by the way we're doing it where you know we're we're reading through it quite slowly and I'm rereading things before I'm getting to move forward. Right. Whereas if I was just reading this on my own, I'd already have finished Wise Man's Fear already. Right. You know, I would say it's frustrating in that we're at the end of the first book and it's, if you look back on it, not a lot's happened in a lot of ways. A lot of promises have been built up, but really haven't been fulfilled. And, that's okay as long as they get fulfilled. But at this point, you're still waiting on so many answers to so many questions. And the other thing is I really don't feel like I have a sense of the world as a whole or what's going on around it. I have a good sense of what's going on at the university, but that's about it. You know, I really don't have a sense of what the rest of the world is like. 
And I think that's a little frustrating for me just because it's so different from what I'm used to in fantasy books where, frankly, we probably get too darn much about what's going on in the greater world. And this is just a very, very different book. But what I have to say is that I read through this book and I was astonished that it was a 700-page book. Right. You know, because it doesn't feel like a 700-page book. And I was listening back to some of the podcasts and I I want to say it was like, episode seven, at which point we were two thirds, maybe even 80% of the way through the book at that point. And I, I think I mentioned that we're still early. And I use the phrase that we're early, right? Because I still feel like I just didn't feel like we had already read 600 pages at that point. Right. And, but the downside is that I also don't feel like a lot of the questions have been answered. Well, it's interesting that you say that because at the end of the book when uh quoth is sort of wrapping things up with chronicler mm-hmm. and he's ending his story he says well that's a good place to start this is and he says this is the foundation upon which our story is built and it's interesting because um i don't want to say that actually it'll be interesting to see your impressions of the next book as well I feel like this is just a natural response to having finished book one of a trilogy. Well, I think that's probably part of it. But also, Name of the Wind is a very character-driven book. And you don't see a lot of those in, in the genre. No. And the other thing I'll say is that Patrick Rothfuss is deliberately attempting to defy some of the genre tropes, particularly particularly on the narrative side. Not so much that he's trying to set you up for one expectation and then uh, give you something else, but more where he constantly talks about this is not a story, this is not a story, and things that happen that you would think in a normal story would go somewhere, sometimes they don't. You know, so he's trying to do something different with the genre, and you, I think you kind of have to go with him and, and see how it all plays out. If we're at the end of, if we get to the end of the third book, and I still feel this way, then there's going to be a significant problem. But, um, but obviously, we don't, we don't know at this point. And so I think the writing in the book is really phenomenal. I would say, really, it's really just the ending of the book wasn't that great. If And even if you compare it to novel one in other trilogies, they had a better kind of arc and climax to the end of the first book, where this one really didn't. And that's okay. I can go with it, because I'm hoping that it's going to be paid off later. And I have faith that it will be. But comparing it to something like, you know, Eyes of the World, you know, book one of Robert Jordan's, like that, like I remember at the end of that book, you know, punching air, being like, yes, you know, because so much gets fulfilled. Even at the end of that first book, there's a lot of stuff that happens. Um, you know, Game of Thrones has, a, you know, a similar type of feel to it. There's a lot of other books. I'd say this is almost a little bit closer to Fellowship of the Ring, where, you know, the Fellowship of the Ring, book one of Lord of the Rings, has a similar kind of ending where it's like, it's not really much of an ending. It's just like, okay, now we're, now we're ready to turn the page and read the next book. And thankfully, we have the next book, and we can do that. 
And to be fair, I mean, I don't share your impression about the end of the book. Um, I kind of liked that a lot of the expectations um, were subverted. You know, these things that were kind of built up that we know we know Quoth eventually gets expelled. So you kind of spend like all these things happen toward the end. You're like, okay, this is it. This is where he gets expelled. This is and I, I kind of liked that that's subverted. Because I, I don't know if it's just because I do read so much in the genre. It's kind of nice. It was kind of nice to like be wrong and to kind of not have my expectations met and feel like, well, this could absolutely go anywhere. Also, however, at the same time, I didn't really read. I read these books back to back. So I basically mm-hmm. read it as one like 1700 page book versus two um separate novels so i read it all in one chunk well and i would say when i when i finished name of the wind you know when i turned the e-reader off and i set it down by my bed i still felt like it didn't have a phenomenal ending but i felt satisfied well, I love the the circular um, having the epilogue. Um, oh yeah, I think mirror the, the prologue. I mean, yeah, I think that was really, really well brilliant. done. Brilliant, I love it. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think I think the quality of the writing is really phenomenal. I don't think you can knock them for that because who else can write a seven hundred page book that feels like a three hundred page book? Right. You know? Um. So there's a lot to be said for for that, but. Where I was going is that as I've kind of taken, it's been almost two weeks now, and as I've taken that time to sort of digest everything, and the more I kind of step away from it, and I haven't started Wise Man's Fear, the more I start going, hey, wait a minute, this never happened, and that never happened, and this whole big thing that I thought was going to go somewhere went absolutely nowhere, you know. Um, True. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to sound overly critical of it. Uh, I think that I think it was a, a good book. It's not it's not my favorite book so far, but it's a good book. Well, and it's interesting that you mentioned its similarity to um, Fellowship of the Ring, because when um, Tolkien wrote that trilogy, it was meant to be published. He didn't write a trilogy. He wrote one massive book yeah. and i think it was the publisher that's correct who split it up into three yep so really i mean it, it you know that first book didn't have maybe a, a satisfying ending because it wasn't meant to be the ending y- yeah no exactly um and as i said i think patrick rothfuss is trying to do something different with the genre and I can respect that, and and unlike you, I don't read. I don't read so quickly, so I don't read as many fantasy novels. I don't. I just don't get to. Um, but one of the things that has just become very, very, very common is for the first books in the trilogies to have these real kind of punch endings, because a lot of authors, particularly new authors, they have to. You know, you really have to hook people right? or they're not going to read books two and three. So it's almost become a trope in and of itself. But it's it's something that, you know, you get to the end of Name of the Wind and you're like, I mean, it wasn't 
Didn't and he's like, and then I went back to the university and kicked it around for a little while, you know. Yeah, it was, I mean, it wasn't that it had no climax. It certainly, that certainly is not a true criticism, but it it just wasn't what you're used to within the genre. Yeah, I definitely will agree it's not what you're used to, so. So, still enjoyed it, though. So that's your impressions? Yeah, I think so. I had a couple of random thoughts as we wrapped up the book. Let's random it up. Just random thoughts uh, related to what we talked about um, last week. So we talked about um, we talked about when Quoth came back to the university and you were surprised that like nobody asked him about what happened to Trayvon. No one seemed to have heard of it. It was like this whole big thing. And um, when I was going back and doing another reread, what I caught was that the the leaders in Traben, the kind of town leadership, mentioned that they were going to assume that the Dracus had caused the massacre. Hmm. And if that was the story that went around, then that's a totally different that's a totally different scenario. No, um, that that would, yeah, I, I agree. That would sort of explain away the, or would explain the lack of alarm. Right. There have been a couple little things like that that I've missed because they're... Right. Well, I missed it all the other times I've read it before. Yeah. Never really wondered about that. I also think that um, probably we talked about whether both burned down the town of Traben or whether that was hyperbole or why he said that I think upon this last time through that he probably thinks that he did burn down the town of Traben you know yeah that's kind of where I was going he it's sort of like as Coat how he when the zombie guy walks in and he's like yep I caused this it's all my fault it's all my fault yep he has that sort of narcissism yeah a little bit that you know if anything negative has happened it's it even the slightest bit off of if he attempts to rescue somebody and you know from falling down a well and loses them at the last second it's it's he built the well and shoved him in right you know yeah and that's not what's happening you know but it it, again it, it speaks to this whole idea of the legend of Quoth versus what we're learning is the reality of Quoth. And I think that's something that I'm really only just now kind of coming to grips with because as much as I feel like in retrospect, that's a very obvious thing that he was trying to do. When I'm reading the book through the first time, I'm just like, I want to know how, you know, he rescued a princess from a sleeping barrow king. Like, right. I'm not, I'm not looking for the the way the legend is completely different and how the legend grew out of something, you know, that was maybe not as heroic as it seems. Right. You know, just like the Dracus, you know, he slayed a dragon. Well, kinda. Kinda. You know? And, and that's a lot of what he's doing in this novel. And that's a cool thing, but it it literally took me to the end of the novel to pick up on that. Right, you know, and I think for me, why this book resonates with me so much are the themes and and the the messages that Patrick Rothfuss is is 
trying to put out there through the story and the characters. I mean, for me, um, I, I prefer character driven books to just kind of empty plot driven books, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, the whole theme of identity coming into yourself and like the idea of what makes us who we are, I just really connect with that. Uh, that's what I kind of saw throughout the book come up over and over. I do also think that your consumption of so much fantasy and this being so different from so much other fantasy, it's probably a part of it as well. Probably. Yeah. I mean, I read a lot of I like crappy fantasy. Yeah. Like, I mean, just throw it at me. I don't care. Yeah. It's got yeah. a wizard in it. I'll read it. <laughs> you know, so. I mean, there's a lot of like ho-ho fantasy out there, you know. Um, they can't all be ribeyes. They can't all be ribeyes. And this is not, it's nice to find a ribeye. Absolutely. So. Yeah. You can't sustain yourself on ho-hos. <laughs> okay. So uh, I have I have a list of questions that I thought we could go through and we can talk about our predictions. Or do you just want to lay your predictions out there? Well, um, I thought for the predictions, I would go back and read through what I predicted. Oh, yeah. And then That's we'd see whether idea. or not any of them actually came true. Yeah. Go for it. Do you want to do that? Okay. Yeah. All right. This And we could go through this fairly quickly. So in episode one, I predicted... And this is what I said. Quoth will sometimes be a will sometimes be a real jerk. He will make enemies of powerful people, but not all of them will be the quote bad guys, unquote. Okay. He definitely made enemies of powerful people. Right. So far they've all been bad guys. Right. So half true. Uh, epi- uh Master Lauren. Mm. Good point. I don't know that I would say he's made an do you think would that qualify as an enemy? I feel like I'm I'm kind of going down the road of Lauren doesn't really hate him, but he's just deliberately... I would say he set his purposes against him. I would agree with that. He set himself against his purposes. I would agree with that, yeah. All right. I'll take it. I'll take credit. Take it. Point number one. Okay. <laughs> All right. Episode two, I said, Quoth uh, goes to the university but spend some time with his loot wandering around before that happens. So that was like right after his parents got killed. Right. Which is, you know, pretty much what happened. Um, he'd spent less time wandering around with the loot than I had hoped for, but that's pretty much what happened. Uh, episode three, I said, Telu and Salitos will come back somehow. If Haliax is still around, then these knuckleheads will come back too. Well, time will tell. Right. I still think that's true. I still think those characters... Yeah. Somehow. They may not necessarily... My prediction here is that they're going to literally reappear. Right. And that it may not be that literal, but but that's what I'm going to predict. All right. Episode four, I said, this is right after we were on the caravan and we met Denna for the first time. And I said, Denna's coming back. Quoth says he'll never see her again, but I don't think that's true. Uh, and then I said, Heme is a dick. But Ambrose will be the larger antagonist. I believe Ambrose will be central to the overall plot of this book. It's also possible, perhaps even probable, that through Ambrose, Quoth will manage to piss off even more important people down the road. I'd have to say that was pretty much spot on. Right. You know, because a lot of where I think, I mean, his whole issues with Lauren stem from his interactions with Ambrose. Yes. At least on the surface. On the surface. On the surface, correct. Uh, Quoth will find a way to get himself unbanned from the archive. <laughs> no. No. No, he won't. And now's where we hit, yeah, we hit the negative run. Uh, my next one says, uh, 
Quote's blood is going to end up in somebody else's hands. Uh, dealing with Debbie is going to end up working out very poorly for Quoth. No. No. I mean, unless she somehow managed to replicate his DNA or fabricate, you know, or take it some way, but... She's got Quoth blood in a Barbasol can. Exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, um, you know, she sealed it and he was supposed to have a way of identifying. Now, did she... How was it she was going to identify him? It wasn't with a signet ring... He put his thumbprint. Thumb, it was a thumbprint, right? Yeah. In wax. Okay. So I feel like that's fairly foolproof. And that was just a huge red herring. And I spent a huge section of that book being worried about that. And it ultimately had nothing at all. No bearing at all. Uh, Waystones and Greystones. This is my next one. Waystones and Greystones are pivotal to the story. They always show up at critical points. I take it as clues that there are going to be significant moments that we need to pay attention to. And I also think they might be portals to get into the Fey dimensions. Those are all very astute observations. But we still don't really, nothing right. conclusive at this point. And it's still undetermined whether like, I'm beginning to think that there's not like a Fey dimension. Like it's not like, you know, you pass through into another world. Right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm beginning to think that they are simply geographically isolated. Right. But we really don't know. Right. Uh, the Singers, with the capital S, are the ancient name of the Edamaru. Still Ooh, don't know. That's a good prediction. I still like that prediction, but I have no idea. Uh, episode six, I said, Quoth's debt to Devi is going to have some serious consequences. I doubled down on that one. And I suspect that it'll, that'll be what gets him expelled from the university. Not not true at all. Mm. It's interesting how much of this book was wrapped up into money. Right. And that whole thing with Debbie really played out like it was, it looked like it was going to be a major, major. Well, and again, it's that sub subverting your expectations, building up a narrative and then subverting your expectations. Yeah. And I absolutely love that because for me, I I spent a lot of my I spent a lot of my life telling myself the story of my life in my head. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else can relate to this, but you know, it's hard in real life because your life isn't a story and so you kind of expect things to play out certain ways, you know, based on your narrative and they don't always. No. And that's a hard part of life and I don't think I'm the only person that does that. No, you're you not, know? of course not. I'm when so I was not. now I may be the only person that used to actually narrate out loud what I was doing when I was a kid. I went through a phase where after everything I said, I would go, she said, <laughs> until my mom one day was like, stop doing that. <laughs> now I know why our children are spazzes. All right. <laughs> but anyway, that's what I like about this book is that you expect, you expect these arcs and you do get character arcs and you get narrative arcs, but they're not always what you expect. No, it definitely does that. And, you know, it's a lot of red herrings and things that seem to go, you think are going to go one way and they don't. So it definitely does all of that. I think there's a danger there for a writer where there's a reason why we like stories. You know, there's a reason why we like narrative arcs. And you can play with it. If you play with it too much, then it resembles real life. And let's face it, real life is boring. That's the reason why we don't, you know, there's a reason why not all of our lives are novels. Speak for yourself. That's right. <laughs> so, 
you know, you still have to keep a narrative and keep a story in there. It's kind of a ballsy move for a first-time author to write a book like this. Well, I agree. Um, Why I think Patrick Rothfuss pulls it off is because the arcs that he does tell, it all serves the character. And it's all Mm -hmm. about the development of this character, the development, and we've talked about the how um, rich even the secondary and tertiary characters are, all these kind of ancillary, even, you know, Shime, the pig herder, had... (laughs) Scoivin. Scoivin, that's right. Um, You know, he felt like he had depth, you know? Mm -hmm. For me, that's what it's all about. It's about the growth of this character and what Patrick Rothfuss, again, wants to say about life and about the world. And, you know, you talked about money. He has a lot to say about about wealth and poverty and mm. systemic poverty. And I, I don't know. I just I really like when there's that deeper layer to the story versus just, OK, we've set this up and now the hero has to knock it down because that's what he does, because that's what people expect, you know? Mm. Yeah. So anyway. Did you, was that all your predictions? Oh, no. Or I totally cut you off. Go, That's okay. Keep going. That's okay. Keep going. All right, next one was, he'll find a way into the archives, and that'll be what gets him expelled. I think Ori will be the key to finding a way into the archives. Oh, so, you got that one. Yeah, I mean, we don't know if that's what gets him expelled. I mean, he already got expelled, and that was actually for something different. But um, but I did say he'd find it in, and I figured it would be through Ori they would find it. Uh, and then I said, my alternate theory to why he gets expelled is through something that happens in Trayvon or that his sympathy lamp ends up in the wrong hands. All right. So n- no on those, at least so far. All right. Episode seven, I said, Denna's appearance at the inn is not coincidental. We suspect that it was related to Master Ash and that he sent her to that inn for a reason, possibly to spy on Quoth. So still un. That's not one we can really answer. Uh, the next one is the Lady Palest Snow from the Changerine Kid song is actually Lyra. Still can't really answer that one. Episode 8, I said the Lear that Denna played is key to understanding who Master Ash is. Still can't answer that one. Episode 8, I also said Moteth. Who's Moteth? The obvious answer is Moteth is the name of Master Ash, but I'm going to say that this is a, mis- a misdirect. Still can't answer that one. And my last one is that uh, where I said Trabon, the town of Traven is mere Terennial. Hmm. Interesting. That's my take on that. So what what questions do you feel like, what are the big questions moving forward into the next book? I mean, I think for me, there's two, there's two big questions that I'm, I'm thinking about now moving into the next book. And, one is, is Denna a spy? Yeah, yeah. That, you know, that's a big one. That's a big one. And the other one is, is there somebody out there other than Ambrose who is actively working against Quoth? Is there some greater thing from prior to the university? Like, was it Ambrose who sent those two chuckleheads to to stab him in an alley, or was it somebody else? Right. And if if that's the case, if the case is that it's not just Ambrose who's really the um, the foil here, if there's some other force at play that's trying to to stop him, spy on him, kill him potentially, 
who in the world could it be? Because right. it would have had to have been prior to the university right. that that popped up. And the only thing this kid ever did, other than barely barely escape from getting killed by the Chandrian, was show up at an inn where this guy was, was telling stories, where Scarpia was telling stories. Right. Because I can't in a million years think of any other time or place where that would where he could have even potentially pissed somebody off. But all he did in that inn was stand around with his mouth open right. while Scarpy told stories. It seems strange to me. This is where I feel like the, the world building a part of it is difficult. And, and I, I don't want to be overly negative because it may very well be that you're, and I suspect that it is, that you're not really intended to be able to guess who it is. No, I don't think you are at all. Yeah. And a lot of other stories, this would be a situation where more of the, the whatever he did to catch somebody's attention would have been spelled, and maybe not would have been spelled out to the point of being obvious, but there would have been a lot of clues around that event. And here, if that's the case, that there is some greater force out there who's actively trying to foil Quoth, then whatever he did to piss somebody off is not at all evident or like how he managed to pop up on these people's radar screens. It seems unprop like really highly improbable to me that this random street urchin in Tarbian would end up on anybody's radar screen. Well, I I agree with you. I don't think that's likely. I think that if if Quoth did catch the attention of any sort of greater organization or whatever it would have been triggered by things he did at the university particularly you know showing up there and walking in and demanding information on the chandrian day and the amir <laughs> day one you know here um you know so for anyone who may have been following the chandrian or following anything that even smelled like the chandrian um the death of arladin and his entire troop may have been something on their radar and so Arladin's son, presumed dead, walking in raggedy looking to the university, going right to the to the archives first and asking for this information, that would that would prick some ears up. This is where the like the frustration part of it comes into me mm -hmm. because there's so little world building beyond what Quoth sees that you just can't get your fingers or your hands on how any of that works. Well, and I, I completely agree that I don't think you're meant to. Yeah. And in fact, it's it was only through reading this book several times that I even began to suspect that might be true. So we've got all these kind of deep tinfoil hat theories that people have been probably knocking around for 10 years and again, I think your experience reading the book would have been very different if you had just kind of read through it one time. You know, another thing that makes this book different from a lot in the genre is that it is almost entirely written from one character's point of view. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up. So you're you really yeah, you don't know anything about this world that um, other outside of what this one character knows. Because yep. again, it's not really about the world. It's about yep. 
him. And one one criticism I've heard of the book is how useless the map is. Yeah. And I talk about I've heard you know I've heard people who read it on an e-reader going out and buying. Um, you know, the hard copy so they could see the map and then ah. opening it and being like, ah. Oh. You should have looked at it in the bookstore. Just before. looked at it in the bookstore. <laughs> there is nothing on the map. It's not doing you any good. No, that that's true. And to that point, it would be very unnatural for you to get a lot of exposition about the greater world because you are looking at it from the point of view of a 15 to 16 year old kid who doesn't know that much. Right. And I, I feel like the purpose behind the first book is to suck you into the story. Um, and to get you attached to the characters. Well, and I think it accomplishes that. Right. So for me, when I got to the end of the, of this book, the first time um, before I went on, I felt like I agree with that. My big questions were about Denna. What's her deal? Who's her patron? Why do I dislike her so much? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, like, what's just what, what happened? What happened to him? What's in the chest in his box that in his room in Coates room? Um, what, um, one thing that I wondered about too is like early in the book, and I don't think I just I don't think Patrick Rothfuss throws these things out there just to let them just to let them dangle. But early in the book, they talk about people having a knack, and I mm -hmm. kept waiting for that to come back, and it hadn't at the end of the book. Yeah, you're right. It, I can't, you know, can't early think of it, on, yeah. he talks about someone in his troop having a knack that he always rolls sevens, and they have like people who can keep fish cold or whatever chill charmers these little other little things so it just makes me wonder if we're going to find out my theory is that maybe denna has a knack and what that it, what would it be that she maybe has sort of a supernatural charm that she almost maybe mm. uh, unconsciously puts off towards people mm. i mean maybe it doesn't have to be something supernatural but the fact that Quoth is so enthralled by her day and, one and he's not the only one to where he doesn't even per, like it doesn't even really think about seriously pursuing any other women who you know he's got other beautiful women kind of throwing themselves at him he's just not interested i have a i have a theory on that that just came into my head oh tell me so denna who is Dina and Diane at different right. points. I wonder if her name isn't Denna at all. And the fact that he doesn't, he thinks he knows her name, but he doesn't really know her name is creating this cognitive, this dissonance for him in his sleeping mind mm -hmm. that is just causing him all kinds of consternation hmm. because he's a namer and he can name things but he can't name her and he can't get his head around what her name is. Combine that with 15 year old hormones and you got infatuation. I do. I definitely, that's very interesting. And I definitely think it's very significant that we don't know her name. I think that's, it has to be in a book. Very like this, significant. Yeah. I mean, think about where we don't like names come up so constantly. The whole th thing around Master Ash was just 
shine a giant spotlight on this, right. you know, th- how we came up with this name. The thing with the horse, which in retrospect doesn't seem as much of a throwaway scene to me as it used to. Right. You know, in first reading, I'm like, okay, we're spending a lot of time on this horse. Right. Not that it was, I mean, it was enjoyable, right. but it wasn't, it was a lot of time away from the plot. Right. Till you think about the way it all played out and you're like, well, wait a minute, maybe, maybe there's more to it than, than there seems, you know? So the, yeah, the fact that we don't know her name is, is probably a big deal. Yep. I think it's going to be. Yeah. Um, well, the thing I wonder too is, is Denna the princess that he saved from a sleeping Barrow King? Oh, you know, she's going to turn out to be the princess, right? You know she is. How can she not? How could she not? That's gonna t- ten points if it's a if it's royalty that nobody knows is royalty. <laughs> right. Ten points. So. Um, and the other thing that I felt like at the end of the book that could not have been, I feel like it, it was going to come back was um, the fact that Lauren mentioned knowing Quoth's father or knowing who he was, and that. Both never followed up on that. No. He never did. And like, what was up with that? Yeah. And it, it's not like it dawned on him later. Like you can. Like, oh, hey, this guy knew my dad. Like, Yeah, you can understand why in the moment he right. didn't catch it. But there was no refrigerator logic moment, you know. Right. There was no going to make a snack at midnight and being like, wait a minute. Right. <laughs> right. N- n- never occurred. Never occurred. So, yeah, for me, I feel like those were my impressions getting to the end of this book. And it's been a while since I've read Wise Man's Fear, and I definitely haven't read it as many times as Name of the Wind. So I am Mm. very much looking forward to getting into that and, um, and... and the possibility of the show, the TV show, is yeah, got very me exciting. Super excited. We're quite a ways away from that actually happening, but still exciting. Right. Still exciting. So we can talk about that. Oh, except I forgot about one other theory that I think might be true. Okay. Um, is having to do with what happened to Quoth and the idea that he somehow was able to change his name or take away part of his name. And that's why he's less than he was before. So beyond what just Bast is talking about, how where he adopts a new name and then he begins to believe he is that new name. And so his, the spirit of Quoth starts to slowly die and the spirit of Coat takes over. So you're saying beyond yes, that, beyond that, some like formal, some crazy way, name or stuff. Yeah, like yes, mm, could be. I think Elodin's going to be a bigger part of this next book. So maybe there's, you know, my hope is that we'll learn more about the naming process, right? You yeah, know, when those two, I I think those two are going to spend more time together, right? So let's talk about the the TV show. Let's talk about it. We've been going back and forth a little bit about who we would cast, dream casting. So we're going to, we'll spare you guys a, a long recitation of actors' names and such, but I want to know who, 
<laughs> but we'll probably put pictures up on the blog and um, of of who we think we would cast in the different parts. But I, I just am curious for your thoughts on some of those. All right. Okay. So lay a couple on me. All right. So, well, quote, we have, we have three different quotes. So you would cast three different actors. Um, mm. I'm just curious. Well, I don't, so my, well, I would, I have a bunch of things written down and a bunch of them are, blank like I wrote down right. every character right and I couldn't come up with casting for all of them but I wrote down quoth young quoth right and then coat okay so who who would you put in there so for quoth I put in Patrick Gibson oh that's who I put too get out of here really <laughs> that's awesome so Patrick Gibson is Steve from the OA right the guy who was the jock you know he was really kind of the one of the big emotional characters on there yeah he he did and he just did a turn on a show uh kind of genre show called the white princess mm, okay where he played a historical character i don't know because i just see the previews as i flick by on my facebook feed um but he walks around in a blousey looking shirt looking all historical <laughs> that's a good word <laughs> that's one way to put so it so historical <laughs> Plink, 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 plink. <laughs> All right. Um, wow, that's interesting. We both came yeah. up with the same one. So who for coat? Uh, you know, I didn't get there. I just... I have two. Okay, go ahead. So my dream cast, who we're never going to get, Eric Stoltz. Okay. My other one, which I kind of think I like more, actually, is Paul K. Who's that? Paul K is the guy who played Thoros of Mir on Game of Thrones. See, I just don't picture Coat being that old. Yes. I don't picture him being that much older than... That is the problem. ...than Kvothe. That is a problem. Because he's he's described as having an old look, but not necessarily being an old dude. You're not going to be able to find one actor who's going to be able to... I mean, it, they may play with the timelines there unless that's plot relevant and we don't mm-hmm. really know. But I don't think you're going to have... I don't think Patrick Gibson's going to be able to pull off 11, 12-year-old quoth, 16-year-old quoth, and 25 going on 40-year-old quoth. No, and I think you'd have to pick like an 11... Like maybe a 15-ish-year-old actor or a child actor mm-hmm. and then have him maybe at the end of the Tarbian years be uh, Patrick, Patrick Gibson. Gibson and have and, him just kind of go through the university and... Yeah. Her, and then kind of age him up for coat. A- aging up is a lot easier than aging down. Right. So, I mean, we've definitely seen people pull that off. So they could probably do that with Patrick Gibson. Right. So, anywho, that's just funny that we both picked that guy up. That is. Okay, who else do you have? All right, who do you have for Bast? Oh, Bast, from the beginning, from the first second that I read this book, Bast was always, in my head, Ian Summerholder. I think that's the right the way. Who the hell is that? Uh, he's a, you, can, you can Google him. He was on the Vampire Diaries. Okay, yeah, I don't know who that is. Okay, who so, do you have? I have two. Uh, Ewan Rowan. Okay. You know who that is? Yes. Yes. Game of Thrones, uh, Ramsey Bolton. Ramsey Bolton. Mm-hmm. 
He just looks very fey. He does. He's got a fey look about him. Um, I also saw some fan art that had Bast as um, as a black as a black man, mm-hmm. and I liked it. Right. So my other one, and this is a little on the young side, but Amir Amir Mitchell Towns. What was he in? Girl Meets World. Oh, I know you love that show. I don't love that show. Why you, are you telling people? I've that? seen you cry watching that you show. You have not. I've seen it. You take it back. <laughs> Podcast over. <laughs> that never happened. So he is the, of course, only black guy on the show. Right. A little on the young side, I feel like. Right. But I like the look. Right. I think I think that could work well. All right. Who do you have next? Okay, what about uh, Simon? Anyone for him? Uh, Toby Sebastian. What? What is played he Tristan Martell on Game of Thrones? Okay. See, I Simon for me has to be blonde because he's I described know, yeah, in almost every that. scene as blonde and boyish. Yeah, I didn't. Um, so for me, um, the guy, the kid who played Peter in the Narnia movies, oh, um, yeah. his name is William Mosley. Actually, that would be a. I like that way better. Yeah, that's I who like, I would put. Yeah, I like that way better. What, a, I don't know, who do you have next? Uh, Savoy. I didn't pick anyone for him. I picked Bob Morley, who is the guy who plays Bellamy Blake on The 100. Okay, yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. Like that's that. really good. Uh, I could not come up with anybody for Will. Me neither. Because for me... I always pictured Raj, the, the guy who plays Raj on The Big Bang Theory. Uh, Not that I watch that show. It's just a guilty pleasure. Don't judge me. Um, there's no harm in watching The Big Bang Theory. <laughs> I know there's strong opinions about it. That's that's who I pictured in the beginning. But I know, you know, for me, I always pictured um, the childish in the beginning as being more Indian looking. Mm-hmm. Not like not American Indian, but no, yeah, Indian yeah. looking Asian, yeah. And um, now I know Patrick Rothfuss has said that they're they're black. So, but that's just who was in my head, Canon. Yeah, all the all the people I could think of are from you know movies and shows that are fifteen to twenty years old, right? So now, so now they're all 35, 40 year old people, right? So it's hard. I I struggled with that one. Who'd you come up with for Ambrose? Nobody. Ambrose is Harry Lloyd. I, who? To, Harry um, Lloyd um, is Viserys Targaryen. Oh yeah. And he was in a couple episodes of Doctor Who and mm-hmm. some other some other shows. Yeah, he would be good. He would be phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. That that was I I I feel like that that one nails it. Yeah. Who you got next? Um, what about Master Elodin? All right, I'm very happy with my Master Elodin. <gasps> Me too. Mine's better. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling we're not going to pick the same person. Okay. Okay. Let's say it at the same time. All right. One, One two, two, three. three. David Alan Tennant. Tudyk. Oh, damn! Damn. That's Mine's st- better. I, no, I was just gonna say mine's better, <laughs> but I do love Alan Tudyk. I really do. How could he's it not be? He's gotta be, be in here somewhere. I didn't somewhere. even think about David Tennant. Though. David Tennant, 
you know, for me, Elodin has to be able to have a voice. It always describes his voice as being distinctive and something about him well, being David sort Tennant of has that. piercing and weird. Like Alan Tudyk is so is just kind of incredibly likable. Yeah. And for me, there's something about Elodin that's like can be a little off putting. And we've seen David Tennant in the Jessica Jones series be like weird and creepy. Oh, yeah. But extremely striking. And um, in everything he does, he's very striking. So for me, I that's... I concede. David Tennant. That's Elodin. I concede. Um, you won. What about... Yes. Battle of, Battle of the Elodins. You Battle won. Battle of the Elodins. Uh, what about Master Lauren? Do you have anyone for him? I do, actually. Actually, no, I don't. I'm sorry. I was Heme. I got them. I got them side each other. Um, okay, I have Master Lauren Benedict Cumberbatch. Ooh, that's a good one. You're never gonna get him, but oh, I'll get him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, I mean, <laughs> you need a Benedict Cumberbatch. I'll get a Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> there are ways. There are ways, dude. There are ways, dude. You don't want to know. <laughs> All right. Did you pick anybody for Heme? For Master Hem? Master Hem, yeah. Um, I can't. I don't know his name, but I always pictured him as the guy. And you may not know who this is either, but the guy who played Uncle Vernon in the Harry Potter movies. Yeah, I don't know who that is. Okay. Yeah, I picked, and I, I'm I'm not sold on this one, but I picked John Sim. He's the guy who played the Master on Doctor Who. I always pictured Hem, Master Hem as being. Big and Bigger. fat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm not, I wasn't sold on that one. Uh, let's see. Who do you have for Elksa Doll? I do not have anyone for Elksa Doll. John Hanna, who was holding Radcliffe on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I know. That's why I thought you would be excited for this one. Radcliffe. Oh. Yes. Yes. Okay. I can see him. Yeah. All right. What about the Chancellor? I have n- no no idea. I I actually I'm going to make a confession. I thought that Lauren and the Chancellor were the same person <laughs> for almost the entire book. <laughs> it's all coming out now, you guys. Kidding. It is all coming out. It wasn't until like the last time he's on the horns I'm like, "Wait a minute." <laughs> so, Lauren isn't also the Chancellor? <laughs> done <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness so i i didn't know <laughs> that's so funny okay no lauren is the archivist well i knew that but you chancellor have, is different you can have two jobs you can have two jobs touche touche when i was at boy's name age i had three jobs you did <laughs> were you the chancellor of a magical no, university i was not i was okay. not in my head <laughs> um for me, I picture the Chancellor as Joel Gray, who has been in lots of stuff. He was on Alias. Um, he was on an episode of Buffy. He was most recently on a show called Limitless, none of which you saw. Nope. So you don't know who I'm talking no about. No idea. He no would idea. be perfect, though. What about Kilvin? I had Cheat Wheel Four. Who is that? Um, okay, he was the bad guy in the the Firefly movie that they made. Oh, yes. He's like, he's good. Yeah, 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 yeah. I would never have known how to pronounce his name. 
Um, I say had it. say cheat wheel. I like yours better. Yeah. Um, I had Henry Simmons, who is Mac on Agents of Shield. Yeah, I like mine better. Yeah, I like yours better. But you know who? Who is the guy who played? Oh, it was a guy from the big big guy from Hamilton, the deep voice. Oak. Uh, yeah, well, I'm completely drawn. Plays uh, James Madison. I know. Um, he has a name that is very hard to pronounce. Um, I still like yours better anyway. His Instagram handle is Oak Smash. Sweet. I don't stalk the Hamilton cast. No, not at all. Not, not at, all. at all. All right, Dayok. Um, do you want to say it together? You know, I already told you my Dayok. Oh, it's a uh, yeah, Ian Glenn. David Diggs. Nope. Dayok's got to be a blonde. I'm mm, sorry. Sorry. He's got to be a blonde. No. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. <laughs> it is David Diggs. David no. Diggs is going to have to gain about 30 pounds. And to do go it blonde and, and dye his hair blonde. No, not happening. He is described at least three times in the book as blonde. <laughs> Whatever. He's a beautiful black man. He is a beautiful. I mean, David Diggs is a beautiful <laughs> black man. All right. He's Threp. very historical. But. Um, he's not blonde. Whatever. Threp. I don't have anyone for... Mark oh, Addy. Who? Mark Addy. What is... Who is that? Robert Baratheon. I like that. Yes, I like that. Mm-hmm. Who do you have? No, we haven't had done any of the female characters yet. I know. I'm saving them. Hmm. All right. Well, I got one more male character. Okay. Do you have anybody for anchors? No. Sam Trammell, the guy who played Sam Merlot in uh, True Blood. I don't remember. He's the guy who owned the bar. I, yeah, I don't remember who okay. that right. at all, but I trust you. Okay. You can have that one. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, all right. Let's let's come on. Come on. Don't don't cheat with me anymore. Let, let's get into it. Are we saving Denna for last? Of course. Okay. All right. Then who do you have for Fela? Oh, I forgot to write her down. Well, that is not acceptable. I I lose. Okay, who do you have? Magda Apinowitz. Um, Lacey Rand from Caprica. Okay, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. You know, I um, read an article. You may have read the same article or an article by Bridget McGovern on Dreamcasting. No, I didn't read any articles. You didn't read it? No, uh uh-uh. Okay, well. No, I just went, wrote all the names down and then went through my kind of mental picture in my head. That is very interesting because she had the same pick for Dioc as you. Really? And I she thought that was David Diggs very too? unconventional. Yes. Bridget McGovern um, wrote an article for tour.com. Um, so she wrote two different dream casts. Okay. And, um, but she also in her, in her first one, she mentioned um, that Patrick Rothfuss has thrown out some, ideas for actors as well Mm -hmm. so for him for fella he um suggested marina baccarin and i thought she was really good um marina baccarin for for um fella for for fella okay yes um and neil patrick harris for bast which i actually heard that yeah i heard that thought that was interesting i don't see that at all for me bast has to have dark hair and blue eyes yeah well i don't know about that but 
No, I think you're right. Yeah. So, Debbie, we all know who Debbie is, right? No. It's the fabulous and very talented Kristen Bell. Jewel State. Mm, I mean, I love Jewel State. It's Jewel State. I don't think she's hardcore enough. The prob the problem with the problem with um your girl is that you're never gonna get her. Well, I'm not talking real this is called dream casting, not realistic casting. Oh, I'm going for realistic casting. Oh. I want Jewel State as Debbie. I don't know. I haven't seen her do anything other than um, you know, her character on Firefly. Do you need anything else? Well, she's lovely, but she's not Devi. I mean, Devi is like wisecracking woman of the world, badass. I'm very disappointed that you think so little of Jewel State. Well, I love Jewel State, <laughs> but you know how I feel about Kristen Bell as Debbie. No, I understand. I will burn this house to the ground. We live if- in this house. <laughs> Could you burn down somebody else's house, please? Fine. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Miss Elaine is 97 years old. She's right next door. She's on her way out anyway. Oh, don't bring Miss Elaine into this. She doesn't have anything to do with this. <laughs> well, if she agrees with me. Kristen Bell would make an amazing Debbie. <laughs> I just talked to her about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Shocker. She's not going to remember when I ask her tomorrow. <laughs> All right. So that's Debbie. Okay. Ari. Um,. Oh, gosh, I forgot to write that. Who did you have? I forgot to write that. Hannah down. Murray. Who was she? Who plays Gilly on Game of Thrones. The other one that I like a lot, but again, this is my this is kind of more of a dream cast, but you'll never get her. Right. Felicia Day. I could see that. I think you could get Felicia Day to be in this show. Maybe. You could. Maybe. It's, got, it's a pretty bit role, though. You know, it's interesting for me, anytime there's a character, and there's a lot of these in fantasy novels, where it's a girl who's kind of like not quite there. She's kind of mm-hmm. kind of like out, you know, whatever. She's ha- half cracked. Yeah. It's always Summer Glow. But I know Ori is got to have fair hair, you know, so. Well, and and Hannah Murray doesn't have fair hair. Right. Yeah, Summer Glaucon does fit the role, the pixie-ish sort of out there. Right. Yeah, that's, I mean, that is kind of the, that is the the typecast for sure. Yeah. I like my picks better though. All right, so there's only one left. Yep. And I'll be honest with you, I really don't have good, I really don't have good ones for, for her. Well... I was reading the article that I told you about by Bridget McGovern and her mm-hmm. first list I I agreed with. Her second list, she changed some things that I didn't quite agree with. But her suggestion for Denna was Tatiana Masonley. Oh. And I was like, yes. Like, I think she would be perfect. Well, she would definitely have the chops to pull it off. She would. And you need to have some good chops because you're playing a pretty unlikable character. That's really the only... This is the this is the one criticism I have of the show. And I'm going to say it now before all the think pieces hit Jezebel uh, and Vanity Fair on the show. There's not a lot of really good female characters. There just aren't. Yet. 
It, correct. In in this book, there's just in Name of the Wind, there's just not that many. The only really, really the only female role with any real depth to it is Denna. On the other side, that's a good one. That's a big one. Like, well, you've got Quoth's mother. Like I said, for much of the beginning, for a couple chapters. I mean, um, I mean, I would argue that all the female characters are good characters, as in they're well written. I just mean there's not a lot, right? Of actual well, interaction. Well, welcome is to the I mean. fantasy yeah. genre. True. I mean, honestly, sadly, true. That's that's just kind of true of most of the genre. Um, there's a lot of good female characters on Game of Thrones, though. That's true. Well, there are a lot more characters in Game of Thrones. Absolutely true. There's like 67 characters, you know. Wait, there's actually... I counted. No, you no. didn't. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't count, but I went to IMDb. Oh. <laughs> it's like 800 characters. There's a lot of characters. I was surprised yeah. that actually it does not even, it's not even close to the largest cast. Like, the 100 has a larger cast than Game of Thrones does, which I find crazy. Yeah, I mean, even just just look at the books. You have so many different characters and different point of view characters. Well, in the books, there's a ton more characters. Right. But, um, but I'm just surprised that as TV shows go, I would have thought it would have had the largest or one of the largest casts, but it doesn't. It's not even close. Right. Like, you look at Doctor Who has got like twice as many. Of course, it's gone on for a lot longer, but it they they did a pretty good job of of keeping the cast fairly small for the source material. But no, just just bringing it back to the book. Thank you. We it, needed that. It's true there aren't as many female characters, but that's very true of this literary genre. Yeah. Um. Unfortunately, again. It's being told from the point of view of one character and kind of his story. So and he's well, and to be fair, he's really went predominantly to one place, and he highlights from the beginning that there are very few women in this location. Yeah, know? I mean the male to female ratio. I think he said is ten to one. Yeah, he said it. Outright. And you look at the two female friends that he makes there, and they are, which is Fella and Mola, mm-hmm. who is the the friend he meets in the infirmary. Um, and they are both very um, well-written and char- characters with a lot of depth, you know? I don't know that I would agree with that. Well, you you don't have to agree with me. For you to you be right. just have to give me half your stuff <laughs> if we split up. I mean, that's the <laughs> only thing you've agreed to, basically. <laughs> I mean, you know, you didn't have to bring divorce into it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a little, it's a far way to go. Like, it's not that important. It's a book. <laughs> I mean, hopefully, you know, I'm sure in book two we're going to get out of the university. Well, I know we are. I hope the hell we get out of it soon. To be mm-hmm. honest, and hopefully we'll meet some more female characters who. Well, you know, give more inter- interesting and right. good acting opportunities for some female actresses, uh, as opposed to those male actresses that are out there. Right. But yeah, there's. I think it's gonna. You're you're probably gonna see some think pieces when the show first comes out about the lack of female representation. 
Yeah, I don't know because I don't know how the show is going to if they're going to go chronologically, if there's going to be like True. still like one movie that encompasses all three, which I oh, God, don't I hope even they don't do that. know how that would work. I Yeah, I, I can't predict how the show is going to handle the plot or anything like that. They may do things like with Game of Thrones where they take characters that in the book show up later, but they bring them in earlier. You who knows? Who yeah. knows? Well, and they could replace some characters with, with female characters too, you know. I, I'm... I'm glad the show's not happening for a while because I'm going to give this book a break so that I don't go into the show as like a hardcore purist. Although as many times as I read it for the purposes of this podcast, I'm, I don't know that I'll be able to forget much of it, (laughs) but, but it's hard, you know, it was hard, you know, in the beginning of Game of Thrones to go into that show and when it started diverting from the way things were in the books Mm -hmm. it was like what what like jamie didn't do that what what i remember the one god one episode you and i just like couldn't even go to bed because we were just like but he wouldn't have done that it was when he killed his cousin (laughs) yes i'm I'm not over it i'm still not over it oh god they assassinated one of the best characters in the book oh it was dreadful dreadful anyway I'm trying not to go into King Killer Chronicles like that. Like it has to be the way it was in the book or it's not good. It's interesting that you bring that up though, because as Game of Thrones has gone on this, and I I believe this is relevant as Game of Thrones has gone on, you know, I've kept rereading those books. You have. And you, and you haven't, you've gone on and done other things. Mm -hmm. And when the series started, you know, I hadn't read the books at all and you had. Right. But the early first couple of seasons they stayed pretty lockstep with the books they did and then they started to divert significantly in season three at which point you were years away from having read the books but Mm -hmm. i had just read them yeah and that's when i started becoming the real kind of purist and i'm like no what you know and i'm getting all tight and you're like i thought it was a good episode you know I, i think your your point is valid that the best way to enjoy these shows is to read these books, do these this podcast, and then put it away. Right for a while, <laughs> because otherwise, we're pro- we're gonna get nitpicky about little things that ultimately probably don't matter that much. Probably, but yeah, changing Jamie's character arc that well, I mean, they changed his entire. That was just one of my favorite character arcs. So yeah, oh, don't want to go too off topic. But. No, no. Well, I think, I mean, I think it's valid for us to talk about adaptations and, and problems with adaptations, mm-hmm. right? And that's the best example we have that will probably relate to most of our listeners. So it's one thing to have a character and merge them into somebody else. You know, it's another thing to add another character. Like a lot of people hated Roz on game of Thrones, the made up Roz. Cause she's not in the books. This prostitute Roz. Oh, the expository whore. Correct. Roz. Yeah. Yes. Roz. A lot of people hated Roz. I didn't hate Roz. You know, you add her in, she serves some purpose. She kind of bridges some gaps, like no problem. But if you take a core character and you do things that really dramatically change that character, then I think you have a problem, you know? And that's what happened with Jamie on Game of Thrones, and that's why we're also pissed about it. You know, people got pissed when 
Peter Baelish didn't didn't say only cat. Ugh. But that to me that's not a big deal. To me it was. Really? Yeah. Because that was Spoilers for, for Game me of that was a big part of his character. And while a lot of people really hate Peter Baelish, but I always kind of liked him. Mm-hmm. Because as shady as he was, he had this one consistency. And that was his like devotion to Catalan, you know? And it was a good thing. Like, no matter what, he always had this love for this one person. And kind of that was one of his major motivations. And so I feel like that was taken from him when he didn't say that at the end. Yeah, I I, I think we disagree on Peter Baelish. It's okay. <laughs> I still love you. David Diggs is going to be a better Diak when he gets cast. Don't you need to stop saying that though? <laughs> Seriously, you're stuck on this blonde hair thing. He's described. I mean, I can give you page references every time that Diak is described as blonde and tan. What does that have to do with anything? I I I, I don't know. I'm just stuck David on Diggs it. Diggs is very tan. <laughs> he he's magnificent. Okay, he absolutely is. I think he would steal every scene he was in. Right. Well, that unfortunately. Might be a <laughs> We can maybe get him to play both. Um, I'm down. Da- I'm down. You I, just so you just sold me. You know, I, I might be. I might have sold myself, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we are well over an hour. All right, so let's um, talk about listener interactions that we've oh, had recently, yes, real yeah. quick. Absolutely. So we actually got another iTunes review. Ah, Yay! So this is from Big Action 5513. And this is not somebody I know from from Twitter, so I think this is somebody new. All right. And um sorry, there are there are motions going on here in the background. Somebody's miming inappropriate activities. Here. I never do that. No, no, not at all. <laughs> this is the All right, so I'm gonna. I'm just gonna focus on the screen, please, and I'm not gonna look at you. Please, now. <laughs> we so we do. We really appreciate these Twitter reviews. So, um, so our iTunes reviews. ITunes, so it says yeah. uh, this married couple does a great job of picking things out in uh, from one of my favorite series. Very nice having one person who has read and one person who hasn't. It allows for structure and perspective. Uh, the couple is easy to understand and only gets sidetracked as much as I would expect. I'm a subscriber and curious to hear their future book picks. Awesome. Right? I loved it. Awesome. I'm so excited that that um, someone that we don't know listened to our podcast. I know. How did they even find us? <laughs> so, yeah. So that was very positive. And we had some good interaction on Twitter over the last week. Uh, one was Theo, who is at the OGB. So T-H-E-O-G-B. And by the way, I'm going to make a little aside here. If for some reason you really don't want us to say your name on the podcast just let us know we and we won't i think most people aren't going to care and they're going to they're going to be completely fine with it but in the off chance that we have somebody who really doesn't want to be mentioned just going to put that out there you know just tell us you don't want to be mentioned and and we won't um so theo you know had said that he was listening to uh, the podcast through his work day and that he was enjoying it and then I thanked him, and we actually got into a conversation about the different companions on Doctor Who. And he had said that Martha was his favorite, and I had said that Donna was my favorite. And then he was like, well, that's that's it. We, you know, friendship over. 
<laughs> because because not everybody likes Donna. <laughs> uh, not everybody likes Donna. Not everybody likes Martha. Yeah, he said Martha. Yeah, Martha could could was also a little bit of a uh, controversial pick. I think who's your favorite companion? <sighs> I mean, Captain Jack, obviously. I don't know if many people consider him a companion. I wouldn't consider him a companion. But, um, yeah. I mean, he, he was a little bit. But um, I, I, I mean, it's hard to say because I'm watching the current series right now and I love Bill. I absolutely love her. Um, I think, and I don't know if that's just because we had this string of companions where they kind of went away from the companion being the everyman. Um, the companion was always kind of our, the, the viewer's stand-in. And we had these last couple of companions. I didn't not like the characters, but they had to kind of have something special about them. You know, you had Jenna Louise Coleman, who um, was like the girl who was born to save the doctor. And she had all this, there was this mystery around her. And like, for me, that's not what the companion's about. No, I agree. You know, and we had these companions who like, made a show of like not being impressed by the doctor and kind of bossing him around. And it's really refreshing for me to get back to a companion who's just like, Holy shit, it's outer space. Oh my God. You know, because like, that's how I would act if I, that happened, you know? Um, so, that I just I really like her. I don't, I don't know if I could say overall if she's my favorite. Well, if I early. had to pick one, I guess I'd have to say Rose Tyler. I know that's kind of basic of me. No, I think Rose but, Rose Tyler's my number two. Um, you know, I yeah. I did I I loved I loved her um in Eccleston. I loved her and Tennant. I loved her in Captain Jack. Like yeah, just liked Rose Tyler. Well, and I think I think overall my favorite episodes, she's a constant in my favorite doctor who episodes yeah and well and you haven't seen some of the more recent ones but True. he's he's got this guy running around with him named nardal and nardal freaking cracks me up i <laughs> i like that actor he's a yeah good, he's a good actor yeah yeah, uh, yeah I, I i haven't sat down and really looked through, through the new stuff but um i think you would like it i i think i would i think i would but um but yeah rose tyler and and eccleston and rose tyler and david Tennant. i mean that's that's the golden age of who, you know, they really, uh, yeah, absolutely. It really is, you know? So, um, as much as I liked, I did like Donna. Well, and some of my favorite episodes were definitely during the Donna years. Yeah. Um, yeah, partners in crime. I never get tired of that one. In the that, adipose. That's the adipose episode. Oh, was that the yeah. name of that one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's definitely some, some really good stuff that goes there's on there. There's some really good ones there. Yeah. Isn't that the, um, I never, see, I never re- remember any of the names of any of the episodes. Mm-hmm. The one where they're, um, where the, oh, and, and you know what, we're, we're going to move on because I'll, we'll spend five minutes trying to figure it out and I'll right. never, and I'll never be able to describe it well enough. So we'll move on. Another interaction we had from, from, uh, somebody on Twitter, uh, from Izzy Kennedy who said, uh, and Izzy is at Isabella CND and she said, glad I found the podcast and discovered all the secret nineties country music undertones in name of the woods or excuse me name of the wind and she was referring to the uh strawberry wine mm-hmm. uh, country song lyrics that i that i read in chapter in episode seven are you best friends now oh we are besties <laughs> so tight and actually we've gone uh, she and i have gone back and forth on twitter a fair bit as well so good folks cool. on twitter Hi, you Izzy. should you should check twitter out i have checked the twitter out i don't, I don't mean you specifically me specifically <laughs> 
Okay, good. <laughs> I was referring to the, you know, the royal you. The royal you. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. In that case, you should. So I don't. I don't have any fandom news today because, frankly, I didn't have time to to go and sit down and put it all together. I do want to reemphasize, though just kind of what our timeline is going to be for the next few weeks. Right. We are going to read chapters one through five of the, of wise man's fear for right. next week. And we've talked about how we're a couple of weeks ahead and what we're going to do since we have a, a period of time coming up where we're actually going to be out of town for a couple of weeks. We thought rather than catching everything up and then having to be gone, cause we're not going to be able to record cause we're going to be out of the country we would just sort of let that run through. And then when we get back in the States, everything should be caught up and we'll be back on a normal timeline. So, yeah. And just so just to reiterate that we will be producing a podcast every week. Correct. With no break. There won't be a break. As of August. Mm hmm. As of like the second week of August, we will be the podcast that you are hearing will be the podcast that we have just recorded. Right Correct. now we are recording yeah. about three weeks ahead. Um, so our interactions with listeners are, there's a bit of a Pretty lag. delayed, unfortunately. Um, but as of August, we will then be caught back up for various reasons. But we are definitely going to be having a podcast out every week, same time. Same bad time, same bad place. Same bad channel. Us and you in That's your car, right. wherever you are. Yeah. We could have just not said that and let people think that we were just really, really, really sloppy on getting back to people, but I figure let's be transparent. You think so? Yeah. I was thinking we should just play it up like we're flaky again, but I, <laughs> I, I'm trusting your judgment on this. Well, People uh, like flaky people, don't they? Uh, people like flaky croissants. They like flaky biscuits. I always get that mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> biscuits, people. Easy to do. Happens to me all the time. It's very embarrassing. I made when some you're brave errors in that case. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's good to let people know, um, you know, because we're, you know, we're people, we need vacations and, and we, we get an opportunity to spend two weeks out of the country. We're going to take it. Um, right. But again, just to reinforce, that doesn't mean that we're not putting out a podcast correct. for two weeks. It just means that correct. right yeah. now we're recording ahead, but soon we'll be in real time. And then the pressure's on. Yeah. Then, yeah. <laughs> then we have no safety net. No safety net. So, but hey, we made it to 10 episodes. Yes. Good stuff. We did not get bored of this. No. Are you kidding? It's... it's it's even more fun than it was at, at, uh, when we started. It kind of is. Because I think we're starting to get into a little bit more of a rhythm. Yep. That's what she said. You, I got to turn this microphone off. It's getting late. <laughs> when it gets past 11 p.m. It gets you past get... 11 p.m. I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth. <laughs> I really don't. All right. Anything else? Nope. All right. Nope. Well, thank you for listening, and we will catch you in episode 11. Chapters one through five. Wise man's fear. Let's Fun times. do it. All right. Good night, everybody. Right, good night.